Drunk Dietitians is co-hosted by your favorite tipsy registered dietitians, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. These dietitian besties can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Their mission is for all humans to believe that they were made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. They are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although these ladies are medical professionals, they are human too. They are not afraid to share their deepest, darkest secrets and how years of their lives were taken by diet culture. They started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So grab your favorite cocktail and join Sammy and Jenna for a casual happy hour and expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Cheers. Welcome back, everybody. We had the most, like, I feel like it was 50 minutes that went by in five um, because this conversation with Miss Maya Feller was, it just took so many incredible turns and I don't even want to say too much right now because I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Um, but Sam and I just want to intro Maya a little bit more and tell you more about her if you don't already know who she is, which we would be shocked if that is the case. But Maya Feller is a dietitian based in Brooklyn. She is a nationally recognized nutritionist expert who has received her master's of science in clinical nutrition at NYU, where she is also an adjunct professor. Um, in addition to all of that, she has worked in the clinical or community nutrition center setting for many, many years and is the national nutrition expert on Good Morning America, which that in and of itself is probably where everybody's like, oh my God, I know who she is <laughs> because it's impossible not to if you watch that show ever. Um, and the conversation today went over so many incredibly important topics and she shared so much knowledge with us that I'm like clearly tongue-tied <laughs> over it. <laughs> Only out here. You're like, help, Sammy, talk. Yes. But no, I agree. I mean, I think I, like I, whenever you'll, you'll hear me intro her on the true episode, but I really felt like, like I was so nervous and not nervous talking to her, but I just, I seriously have watched her on national TV for so long. And I feel like I mean, it's one thing to watch someone on social media and be like, oh, like I look up to them or like, but like, I know you. <laughs> yeah, but like she's a good morning America, like all the time. Um, and which I just, I, I think it's fascinating. And, and she, and I, I don't want to say she reminded me a lot of someone, but she kind of reminded me a lot of Lynette Hemley, our yes, good friend. I was thinking who, that the whole time. <laughs> who was on a previous episode and just really bringing it back to like cultural roots and traditions and food and um, which is just such a needed conversation. Um, so and then of course, like she just drops total knowledge bombs, um, about like systemic racism and nutrition and, you know, being a black dietitian, we are just so happy that, you know, she came on to, to represent and to talk about that because, you know, we didn't ask her to talk about that, but I'm so happy that she brought that up and brought that into the conversation as well. 
And her bio too, that I didn't finish reading. I mean, it says right in here, Maya believes in providing nutrition education from an anti-biased, patient-centered, culturally sensitive approach. And I think that that right there is like the perfect description of this conversation. And we really kind of talked about healthcare and the biases that exist and the issues there. and just with nutrition in general, and I think there's so many misconceptions about what nutrition is and what it's all about, thanks to social media. Social media can be such a beautiful thing, but it has kind of ruined this field to some extent. I hate to say that out loud, but it's how I feel, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely tarnished a little bit, it's like but it's not ruined. It's, it's not, not ruined. Dead, but we're, we're here. Is- we're here to have We're those conversations so <laughs> when she really um, touch on what we talked about with Evelyn as well about how you know nutrition you have to focus on who you can help and again as we always say in these beginning conversations we're so grateful that you guys are here and hope you love this episode yep so for without further ado let's just get right in because this is truly truly an amazing episode Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. I feel like I have to pinch myself over here for today's guest because (laughs) seriously, I have watched her on Good Morning America so many mornings where I'm like, yes, there's a dietitian on. Um, And I seriously like love you so much. So thank you so much, Maya Feller, for being here today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on and um, you all have excellent guests and you dive into very meaty topics. And so, yeah, I'm thrilled to be talking to both of you. We're so grateful to have you. And I have all sorts of links of yours up over here. And there's just so many exciting things for us to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) But before we dig in too deep, Jenna, hit her with the this or that. So we just want to get to know you outside of nutrition a little bit. I okay, kind of gave. I'm ready. I gave it away that I have a new question today. I hope it doesn't flop. But we're gonna start with coffee or tea. Oh, coffee, one hundred percent. Well, actually, no. Let me go back and say this: it's coffee in the morning, and it's always two espressos. Now that you've asked, I'm gonna go there because I'm a serious coffee person, and I have been for many, many years. When I was in the beginning of grad school, and I lived in Flatbush, Brooklyn, before it was like, you know, the place to be, there were no coffee shops. And when I tell (laughs) you there were no coffee shops, I mean, not, there was not a place where you could go in and get like an espresso or a latte or a, you know, flat white, none of that. And my mom is probably a more serious coffee drinker than I am. And so for Christmas, whether we wanted it or not, she actually gave us this very fancy Yura espresso coffee maker. Um, And it's a bean to drip machine. So that's to tell you that it like runs in the family. So that's what we got (laughs) for Christmas like years (laughs) ago. And ever since then have been complete converts. Like we don't do coffee shops. Like we don't, you know what I mean? We don't believe in that. We're like, it's happening inside of our house. So coffee two espressos, uh, two shots of espresso, and then I make a latte at home, usually uh, 2% lactose-free milk or oat milk. Sometimes I mix them. Mm. Uh, And then in the afternoon, depending on the temperature outside, I switch to tea. So like this is dandelion tea. Mm. Earlier, I had a little bit of chai. And I say that that's probably because of my my Caribbean roots where, you know, we drink tea year round. Um, 
and you know like any good caribbean person you enjoy a good pot of tea so now that it's the afternoon i'm having my tea i love that cheers I feel like I just want to talk about (laughs) coffee and tea like the entire episode now. Like I feel like I need, I've, so my husband and I have been more recently getting into like better coffee grounds because we were using like K-cups for the longest time. And I was like, I don't want like Walmart donut shop. Like I, like I know I deserve better than that. And so (laughs) I feel like I need to like take a class from you and like learn how to like be a a coffee snob in the best way. So, you know, here's the thing that's really funny about coffee. And I know this is not what we're here to talk about, but I did join a coffee CSA years ago. And so I was introduced to all of these different blends and many of them were fair trade. And my big joke that I say is all you have to tell me is that it's, you know, an indigenous woman from somewhere made this or was involved with the making and I'm completely all in. So, you know, like this is that, that was the beginning of my coffee journey. All these collectives, you know, in Latin America and Africa that were, you know, led by women or, you know, heavily a group with a lot of women that were involved. I was completely sampling and tasting all those different roasts. And let me tell you, I highly recommend joining a coffee CSA um, to get, you know, acquainted with some of these flavors. That is awesome. And if, do you see this dog? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there must be a bug in here. Um, if you have a recommendation for the one that you use, we would love to share that too. Yeah. yeah. So I have to get in touch with my friend, Karen O, who started this CSA in Lefferts Gardens. That's where I started uh, and ask her the name of the people who did the coffee. Cause now I, then I went to the food co-op in Park Slope and that's where I was getting my coffee. But now that I don't shop at the co-op, since COVID times, the lines are long. I actually get my, I'm back to delivery. And so I get it from Corbricks in New Jersey and they have like a fair trade organic section. And so I usually go through that part of it to, you know, take a look at the coffees that I want. And I always go for whole bean and then, you know, use a spice grinder or coffee grinder to grind it or put it in the machine hole. I'm, I'm learning so much. Sample. <laughs> I, I know, me too. I'm like, I can't wait. Like, awesome. I, I feel like I've, I have shown a part of my soul that no one knows, like my very intense feelings for coffee. It's, it's amazing. I, I love, love it. it. So to on this trend, on this note, let's move into another beverage, wine or beer. Oh, wine, 100%. So I do not love beer at all. Um, I don't know. I mean... You know, maybe if I'm in the Caribbean and it's like really, really hot and someone hands me a carob and I've just had a roti or like a spicy curry, then I could get down with a beer. But I am through and through like an unfiltered, funky wine. I love that. Love that. <laughs> All right. Here's my special one today. But I don't know. This might flop. Now I'm getting nervous. Are you pumpkin season or peppermint mocha season the most? I feel like it's a really tough, in my life, it's a really tough question. (laughs) So, you know, so I'll tell you this, it's interesting. Like I do love peppermint, but I'm not a peppermint mocha chocolate kind of combo person. And I do love pumpkin, not just because I'm from the Caribbean and we put it in everything or my family is, you know, but, and I have pumpkins, like I have a butternut squash. I have like a for real pumpkin on my you know, my countertop and I'm definitely going to make some soup with it. So yeah, I think I'm pumpkin. Fair. I love that. Sam, what would you be? 
I'm really torn right now because I'm like such a pumpkin person, but York, like York peppermint patties are my favorite candy and like peppermint patty shots in college were like my jam. So I love like peppermint chocolate, like, and mint chocolate chip ice cream is my favorite. So I don't know. I honestly don't think I could pick. We'll come back to her. (laughs) What about you, Jenna? (laughs) No, I love both so much that I'm telling you it was a really, that's why I had to ask because it was such a tough decision for me. But I think through and through I'm a pumpkin girl because I feel like there's just so much. I have two pumpkin candles burning right next to me right now. So it's like hard to say anything else. But okay. Um, Last question for today. If you could have anything in limitless quantities, but it couldn't be money, what would it be? Lobster. Here, hold on. So Should I'm a live lobster in here. <laughs> wow, wait a minute. Is that real? <laughs> it's a clay lobster. It looks very authentic. Yeah. So my son made it for me for my birthday last summer um, because I love lobster that much. And I think after lobster, it would be oysters. You know, where did uh, the love for lobster come from? So I think it's a combination of two things, right? So I think it's being born in the Northeast in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? So you're right on the the water. And then I think it's the combination of the Caribbean. So my biological parents are both from the Caribbean. And I spent a lot of time when I was growing up, traveling back and forth, would go for research with my mom or something. Um, And, you know, in Trinidad and Tobago, the lobsters down there are much different. And so the tail is like everything. It's like this very meaty, wonderful, sweet, briny flavor. And, you know, the combination of that, it's like I can get it when I was in Massachusetts. I could get it when I was in Tobago. So, you know, just lobster, lobster all the time. I love seafood. I love seafood. I love that. That's amazing. I love and I love how you that you pull that back to like your tradition too and that was something I saw like all over your website just looking at all the pieces you write of really bringing nutrition back to culture like nutrition is so much tied into our culture and our traditions and it seems like that's so true for you too yeah definitely I mean you know I think like nutritioning is having nutrition is having a similar awakening or reckoning that the country's having right so we're in the midst of this racial awakening and this kind of reckoning where people are realizing that oh my goodness systemic racism is real on all of the levels like we can't deny it anymore and i think people are also realizing with nutrition that there's so many parts of how we have been taught to interact with our patients that are steeped in those racist practices and that diet culture in and of itself is all wrapped up in that, right? And so we often used to say nutrition was binary or maybe some people still do say nutrition is binary rather than existing on a spectrum. And so I, that's when I say like, you know, we're having an awakening where we're like, wow, things have to change with how we interact with our patients because, if we're within the continental US or the territories, it's really, really diverse. And if we're working on a global stage, then it's even more diverse. And we have to meet our patients where they are, you know, honor their lived experiences the same way that we look at lab results. We have to say like, we're not gonna demonize your food choices. And because you don't eat this specific prescribed, and I hate to throw kale 
under the bus because I love kale, but you know what I mean? If you don't eat this specific prescribed diet that is kale, brown rice, and grilled chicken, then you're not healthy. And we know that that's not the case, right? So if we can lean into this idea that we all have culture, and especially for us as dietitians, that shifts and chains have to happen within the field so that we can effectively serve our patients and really, you know, I don't want to be too much of like a health health person, but um, really help our patients express their best health possible and not in a cheesy way, you know what I'm saying? But like in a very real, like, can we find metabolic homeostasis while you honor your cultural food ways? I believe yes. That was so beautifully so said. Good. Shit. Thank you, Maya. Thanks for kicking us off so strong. Oh Maya. my God. Yes. And I love the parallels you made between like racism and then yet nutrition and how you pull that all together. And I think, oh, like, I think at the core of it, when we look at nutrition and specifically just our culture, right? If people do genuinely want to improve their health, but when we Google, how to improve our health with nutrition, the bullshit that comes up is just overwhelming, right? Like you said, this diet culture. And we just had Evelyn Triboli on last week, the creator of Intuitive Eating, and she threw out the big fact of like $300 billion industry if you pull healthcare in, which we now know is really deeply rooted in diet culture as well. So, um, so profound what you just said. It's intense. You know, like when I think about working with my patients, so I I still see people one-on-one and I accept, you know, a handful of insurances. Um, And the way that it works is someone will, you know, they'll send their insurance information to my biller and I see all the determination sheets. So I see what's covered and what's not covered. And we in this country, time and time again, tell people that we do not value your well-being. We say we will either cover you once you're ill, we'll give you three visits when your kidneys fail, (laughs) you know what I mean? But we're not gonna give you preventative coverage. And it's incredible because when we're thinking like, if you look at the health of the nation, I sat in on a summit and I think that they gave a statistic saying 27% of us are well across the board in this country meaning that there's no metabolic dysfunction for only 27% of the population. And then you look at healthcare, what's covered, what's not, who has access to like the top, you know, choice plus the gold tier. We're telling people we don't value you, right? So it's one system replicating the injustice and saying, no, 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 we're not gonna help you. We don't value you. It's such an important point to state. And it is, I don't think until that quote that Evelyn said, like, I don't think we realize the impact of how large healthcare is. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying right there too, I mean, the three visits, I worked in a hospital. I remember people with these diagnoses where they were so far away from the prevention stage, yep. but they still only got three visits to yeah. fix, quote unquote, whatever it was that they were they were there for. And I think it's such an important topic too, because Sam and I go on this tangent often to each other that like people look at dietitians and they forget that we have all this clinical knowledge, right? Right. Look at dietitians on social media and they're like, oh, you're going to tell me what to eat, what not to eat, the food, please, weight loss, blah, blah, blah. But like we can really help. (laughs) Right. And there is no representation of us 
in healthcare, like statistics either, right? Of being able to help prevent. But I'll stop myself there. Please keep going. No, but I no, but I agree with you 100%, Jenna. I mean, that's the issue, right? So people, I mean, so I did some research for this talk that I was giving with a colleague of mine. And I looked back to like what we did as dietitians in the beginning. And basically we made food for men who were going to war. You know, like, so if you look back at our roots, there, there's all sorts of, you know, misogyny in there, right? There's a lot, it's problematic. Like, and I'm not saying that there's anything, you know, wrong with providing food for people, but if that's our sole purpose, then it's like, oh, right. So there's still, people still have those trappings in their mind. They're like, oh, those are the girls that make the food. <laughs> When yeah. in fact, dietary, right? That's what we're called in the hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's a bit more. There's a bit more. Yep. 100%. And so I think this is a perfect lead in because we're, we, we love selfishly bringing on dietitians like yourself who we look up to just to learn more about like what has your journey up until this point been like because you haven't always been the, the GMA nutrition expert, right? So what was your journey from like nutrition student to now? And you can take 30 seconds or 30 minutes to answer that question. Totally up to you. Well, that's a good question, Sammy. So um, my, so my, it's interesting because my undergrad was actually in experimental theater. Um, yeah, kind of interesting, you know, <laughs> Hmm. Gives you a lot of pause. Um, and experimental theater is not like, oh, you're in front of a camera, right? And it's not like, oh, you put makeup on and you're like, smile. Experimental theater is like avant-garde. So, you know, yeah. So it, it is. it was completely different from what I was doing now. And then when I was studying, I said, oh, you know what I should do in addition to uh, experimental theater is... I should also study philosophy and alongside I should take some classes on critical race theory and like performative gay theater. So that was my undergraduate experience. And I say all of that to say that um, that has nothing to do with nutrition. So, you know, I spent a year and a half doing all of the science classes. Yes. <laughs> Just thinking <laughs> hard. <laughs> year and a half. You know, when you take performative gay theater as your science. And then organic chem do... walks in. Like, yeah, like... those are very different. <laughs> you're going to have to do it all. I mean, uh, so I, I say that to say that my journey was an unconventional one in that I didn't start out saying I wanted to be a dietitian. Um, and I really did want to work in the arts, but at the time that I was studying theater, there were not many dark-skinned women who were playing anything other than, you know, the neighbor. Um, and so it was clear, also, there weren't that many, like, awkward Black girls, you know? So, like, we have more now when we see more representations of us, art. I do see more representations of myself on the screen, but there were not people who were like, not just super cool, right? Um, and so after I did my undergrad career or completed it, 
Um, and I went on to do some very interesting street theater and some very interesting avant-garde theater in the East Village uh, and some, you know, fringe festivals. <laughs> I, listen. Do you, you have know. any of those on video that we could play <laughs> a clip? I wonder if we can, there's some cringe worthy things where I'm just like, why, why, (laughs) why? Um, I can look, I'll see if I can find something. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, then I, then it's interesting. Like I just went and I got like a regular job, like a job where you go in and nine to five and I was completely satisfied. And that's when I said, I, I, would like to do something else. And I was deeply doing a lot of volunteer work um, and uh, like refurbishing playgrounds and stuff. Uh, and then I was training for the Boston Marathon and it's really funny um, for you know all the runners. It's like, you have lots of hours of running and thinking. And when you're training for a marathon, you, um, you are very hungry, or at least that was my experience. And I was wondering why I was so hungry all the time. <laughs> and I was like, where's all of this food going? What's happening to it? Um, like literally I would run for hours and be like, what happened to my breakfast? Where is it? Like I'm ready for lunch. <laughs> Back at mile two. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, literally. And I was like, I was like, the breakfast has expired. Um, and so then that's when I thought, okay, I should study nutrition. And my dad, who's Haitian and an ethnomusicologist, um, you know, I come from this like deeply academic family, um, and he worked really hard in his life. And so they only, on my dad's side, they really only believe in terminal degrees. Like there's nothing else. Um, like you don't go to school just to like check it out and see, like you go to get your terminal degree. So, you know, it's like, why wouldn't you be a PhD? Um, and so I talked to him and he's like, oh yeah, no, no. I said, I was gonna, maybe I'll get a certificate. He's like, certificate, what? And I was like, oh, just kidding. Um, and so I, like, I looked around and I actually, I decided, okay, it'd be great if I could go to NYU. And so that's where I ended up. Um, and I would say that, you know, I really wanted to work in community nutrition. That was like what I wanted to do in the beginning and what I did do. And I was running a food and nutrition program. Um, and like, I never actually set out to be in the media. That wasn't like a, a deep goal of mine, I'd say. And I know that this sounds like just ridiculous, but my real deep desire, even today and now, is to share information with people and help people make choices within their power and based on what they have access to that can help them and you know in a real ideal way hopefully spur generational change and so that's why i wanted to work within the community because i really felt like i could go into places where people looked like me and were from the places that my family was from and that i could talk to them about the foods that they were eating and how they could use all of the excellent health benefits that come with these bitter herbs and roots that they grew up eating, you know, um, and just have them see how excellent food is. Um, 
and really lean into like their traditional and cultural foods and kind of get away from a lot of this fast and processed foods that have flooded into, you know, black and brown neighborhoods. Um, and that's a whole nother story about how fast food has become black food, right? Because that's really steeped in a lot of, you know, redlining of grocery stores, discriminatory lending practices. And I just kind of wanted to be in those community spaces and work with people who, you know, were like me. Uh, and that's, and, and so that's how I ended up doing the community work. And then interestingly, to kind of get to the media, the story is a very funny story. I was out with a group of friends in Brooklyn and bumped into someone who said, I've been following you on Instagram. And I said, oh, that's cool. And this was like a little while ago, right? So like my Instagram was me, like I'm going to the botanical gardens for member night and here's a bowl of chickpeas. Like, you know, not what it is now. Um, and they said, are you a real dietitian? And I said, yes. And the person happened to be a producer at GMA. And they said, we would love to probably have you come in once. And I remember I was at the Bed-Stuy Y swimming, which I never do, but I was injured. So I couldn't run. So I was swimming instead. Um, and I remember I got out of the pool and I have natural hair. So when you swim and you get out of the pool, the only thing you have is an Afro. And I got a phone call and they're like, it's GMA. And I was like, oh, I just got out of the pool, my hair. Okay. And they were like, could you come into the studio? We would like you to do an interview with Mara Schiavo-Campo and it's going to be on pediatric nutrition. Uh, we're going to send a car to your house in like four hours. And I was like, oh, I was like, all right, I was like, pull it together. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, okay. And so I went up there and we did this piece together. Um, and that was kind of how it started. So it wasn't really like I had this, you know, desire to be on TV. It was more like I just wanted to talk about nutrition. I love that. That story is so inspiring. And what I keep coming back to in my head is you said something so powerful that I want to make sure everybody listens to twice on here in this story is what you just said was your goal in nutrition was helping one person change their lineage and like change the projection of what their family consumes and change an outcome based on one person. And this is like so apropos for, I feel like my life right now, Sam and I have been talking about this exact thing that as dietitians, we need to focus on who we can help and how we can help them. And what you just said was showing them how to use their roots, their favorite vegetable in a way that speaks to them so they can speak to their family. And that's like, the quote of all quotes. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's so powerful. And like the way that you've turned that into your career and how you're now doing that on national television is incredible. So thank you for being such an inspiration for dietitians, but also for people. Um, it is, it's amazing. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I do. I also have to say that um, I don't take any of it for granted. You know what I mean? Like I'm grateful for all the opportunities that I have, because I, I said to someone the other day, I said, I feel like I'm trying to grow a garden on Mars, you know, uh, as like, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but it's so like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think it's pretty, you know, I'm always like, wow, this is, this is, this is a wonderful 
kind of existence. You know what I mean? It's, and especially it's, it's challenging too, right? In light of everything that's going on, we're in the middle of this global pandemic. We're in the middle of like significant unrest within our country. We're in the midst of extreme poverty and, you know, hunger within our country that is like reaching doctors without borders, international levels. We're Mm -hmm. in a place where, you know, first nation people are completely, Completely at risk because there's nobody, or you know, the government is definitely not looking out for them. It is, it is, I say it's always a shock to me that this is the moment where the world has decided that they want to make this nutrition shift, or not the world, but you know, within our community and hear different voices because it's like there's so much pain in the midst of a hopeful moment. That's, it's crazy too, how much more like nutrition is so much more than nutrition, right? Like this Mm -hmm. conversation is so deep and it's so deeply rooted in so many things. And, um, yeah, it's just that that's like all I can think about right now is how it's just so much more than just nutrition. You know, but I'm grateful that you all have this platform and that you're saying, you know what, we need to hear alternative voices. We need to talk about different ways of interacting with food. You know what I mean? We need, folks have to know that it's not just, and I don't, I'm not trying to um, act, so I'm not even going to say it because I was about to drop a name and then bash them, um, but we're not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, it's not you're just. welcome to. Come on. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> Um, but you know what I mean? It's not just like some very low calorie diet that's based in liquid. Um, you know what I mean? Like there is so much more to offer. I think we're all thinking of probably the same person when you say that, but (laughs) that's a whole other piece of the conversation too, is that we had, um, Sammy Haber on recently veggies and chocolate, and she Mm -hmm. was talking about how nutrition has become so elitist, right? And it's, it's like, there's not enough of these conversations out there to discuss like what it actually truly means. And I think that, you know, social media makes it really difficult to get the real roots of nutrition out there, but we're all working together and that's a beautiful thing. Um, And I think like just looking at your Instagram page, if we bring it back to your social media, because that's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing on here. Um, I think you do such a good job of just showing so many different types of foods. And so if you could describe like your view on nutrition in like Sammy said, 30 seconds or 30 minutes, like however you want to spin that, you know, what would be the main message that you want to get across for people coming to your page? So I think I've said this probably a million times when I talk about nutrition and I talk about people's relationship to food and their access to food and the social determinants that, you know, really have an impact on what's available to them is that nutrition and health really exist on a spectrum. And if we're looking at it from that lens, there, the statement that we use within the academy that there's no one size that fits all, it's really from my perspective as a clinician and someone who works with people is how do I listen to your food and nutrition story, honor it and not jump in and try to change it right? It's like, okay, that's your food and nutrition story. What do you understand about why we're together and how can I serve you? Um, 
So when I think about nutrition on the whole, I say that it's something that we all engage in all the time. It is not uh, reserved for, you know, the top 1%. It's not reserved for, you know, white Americans only. It's not reserved for people who are making, you know, a specific uh, amount of money or people who've only been to college or people who only have a degree. It's something that is for all of us, even though when we look at representations of, you know, who holds the proverbial keys to the gates of health and wellness, we tend to see, you know, large groups of white men being the people saying like, these are the types of diets that we all should eat. Um, and from my perspective, I say that's not the case, right? That nutrition can be my face, it can be your face, um, you know? Uh, it truly is, I think, based on the individual and what, whatever it is that they need so that they can, on a regular and consistent basis, engage in food-related behaviors that support them. I love that. Yeah. Speechless. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop. We can cut it. Cut it there. <laughs> I will say that when you do yeah. come to your page, you see that. Like that speaks to me as eloquently as you just said that out loud. Like there's colors, there's different types, there's culture, there's just so much to share. So thank you for putting that into words. And oh, wait, I really need to be better at what I think people see when they come to my page now. <laughs> But you know what's so funny is again, like social media, like that is not a skill that I have. Um, I you know, like for miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I just, um, I just, and I fold. I say this too, like you know, I just recently reached out to someone. I was like, I need some help here. <laughs> I was like, I need some help, just like crafting everything. So, um, you know, effective yesterday. I have some help. Awesome. <laughs> it's, a full, it's like a full-time job. It's, it's insane. Um, but so I, I have like kind of a follow-up question to Jenna's question. Have you ever had, like, I know with new, I've, I've only done like local news, but how they'll come to you, right, with the story or something they want you to cover. Have you ever had, or how do you navigate, I guess would be the right way to ask this when, if they want you to speak to like one type of person or one thing, like, do you ever find it difficult when you know you're speaking to like millions of people? Like, how do you make a, a nutrition topic resonate with everyone? Um, that's a really, really good question, Sammy. So I think for me, whenever I'm approaching a segment or something that I want to work on, I think like, okay, and this is so simple, right? I think what's the easiest way for me to share information, but in like the most digestible form? So I would say most, so most, like at least most of my producers or all of my producers on GMA never ask me to talk to like one type of person. They always do right. say, remember, it's the whole country. When I go on other networks, um, and you know, that happens sometimes, um, I have learned recently to, to be more straightforward in terms of what it is that I want to say. 
Um, and, you know, I had an experience recently where somebody wanted me to talk about a specific type of diet. And I said that I don't want to talk about that kind of diet, whatever it was, um, and that I would be happy to talk about balanced eating. I'd be happy to celebrate this person who had you know, lost weight during COVID and experienced improved metabolic parameters, but that I wouldn't push this as everyone needs to diet. I would need to reframe it so that I could be comfortable in what I'm saying and not as halting as I am right now, which is like, you know, whenever I'm talking about something that I don't want to talk about, it's almost like the words don't come out. And I'm like, <laughs> um, and so I've learned to say like, you know, that's not something that I can do in a way that would be effective or helpful. And I've also learned to tell people, you don't want me doing that either. Because if you read anything that I've written in the last three years, you know, before COVID happened, before the racial awakening in this country happened, I've always been talking, you know what I mean, about systemic racism and injustices, uh, especially in food and nutrition. And also this idea that we have to expand how we think and interact with food. So you don't want me going on any show saying like, what you really need to do is cut out this entire group of food. So they'll be like, where did she come from? <laughs> That's you know? awesome though, that you have, that you've learned to have those boundaries, right? To set yeah. with them. And, and like, I guess we have to keep in mind, like these producers, right? They're humans that maybe don't have a lot of experience with nutrition or how to talk oh, they about do. nutrition. Are they on do? the big network, on the big networks, they're excellent. They oh, are well, that's great. Excellent. That's great. There is a huge medical team. There is awesome. like staff at the like. No, no, no. no. They are excellent. It's, and Perfect. usually, it's the same group of people who engage with the nutrition segment. So you'll Got go it. like when I return. Like I have people that I have a good relationship with. You know. Mm -hmm. um, like the most recent segment that I did, I, I said to, so I said to one of my producers, I said, you have made my dream come true. We did an on location segment in Fort Green Farmer's Market. I was like, could this get any better? That's amazing. <laughs> like, you know, like I said to him, I was like, this is amazing. And we were, we were just talking about fall foods and storage, but he's so good and is has such an excellent way of looking at food and segments and reaching people that i think it was more effective than me standing in a studio and having the conversation because i was talking to the host who was there with a full farmers market setup in front of her and i was in the farmers market and people were like, oh, that's so cool because you're giving them different inputs, right? So it's the conversation. You're seeing, oh, look, she's in a farmer's market. I could do that also. Like, so no, they're excellent. They're really, really excellent. Good. And you were probably having so much fun too, which gives the message of like, yep. food can be fun. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. let it be fun, not scary. I love that. <laughs> so true, so true. Well, we had, we started so many different conversations today that I think we're definitely going to need a part two at some point, but we have so many inquisitive listeners, which I think is the best thing about this space. And 
Do you have any resources you would recommend for people that want to continue learning about some of the incredible topics that you've brought up today? Um, anything that we can share? Because after our last post with Evelyn Tribbley, I had five or six people in my DMs asking about um, the book that she had recommended, Fearing the Black Body. And mm -hmm. I mean, just to be able to get that out there to share with people, like the story of diet culture, where it started, I yeah. think it's such a privilege. And I would love to continue to provide those resources if you have any you want to share. So I have a, like a pretty significant list that like I usually share um, after so I can for sure email it to you. Awesome. Uh, one thing that I often say to people because because I was clinically trained and I rely heavily on research um, and we know that peer-reviewed journals are that's like how we go. I still you know read a lot of peer-reviewed journals but I also read the Journal of Critical Dietetics um, and then I've also switched over in changing my search to looking at some of the journals that are in like the sociology section. And of course I go, now you guys are going to see this is like the real Maya, what I'm doing day in and day out. I'm on NYU libraries looking through journals. Um, and so I have switched over to looking at some of the sociology journals. So I change the way that I interact with my search. Um, and it gives me an alternate view. I also use some of the public health resources um, because that is a totally different discussion um, because they've been, they've been talking about social determinants in a different way for a long time where we're still doing food frequency and we're using, you know, data sets from NHANES, which I always say, you know, it's not, like if you go in and you comb through the research and you look at it, you can see that they oversample certain populations because they're not sure that they're going to get the data that they want because there may be bias, you know? And so then it asks you, leaves you the reader to question, well, how representative is this of our actual population, you know, and how applicable are these guidelines and then how do we truly individualize them? So I do use like, you know, the nurse's health study and the physician's health study, even though they are predominantly, you know, skewed to white and upper middle class. Um, but I take it, I look at it with the lens of knowing that, look, this is not representative of this country. And so these guidelines may or may not, you know, work for some of my patients or for the general public at large. Um, that, that was a long answer for clearly I read I love how passionate you are about it. You're inspiring me to read more journals. So yeah. <laughs> I wrote down the name. I'm writing down another one now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I do read a lot of those journals. And then also just books. This one book, I wonder if it's right here. You guys can decide here. This is the situation. So there's this book um, by Dr. Ashanti. Oh, God, I don't want to get um, this. The, it. It's called, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to pull it up for you because I don't want to get this writer's name wrong because um, that's not nice. You know what I mean? That's never a good thing. Um, but it's Ashanti <laughs> Reese and um, it's called Black Geographies. And it's a, one of my absolute favorite books. It's, and I read it a while ago. It's kind of looking at, you know, um, food, in DC within black communities. Um, I'm going to pull it up right now. 
live search. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Geography and environmental systems. So yes, Ashanti M. Reese, anthropologist. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have watched a number of Dr. Reese's, you know, YouTubes, um, because that's what I do. And then I've been into these cultural humility resources. Um, so going all the way back to kind of the, the beginnings of them looking at the, and they were social workers, right? So they have a really interesting look. And a lot of some of the discussions started around like, you know, how do you engage in equitable and patient-centered behavior? So reading that stuff too has been very exciting. Um, and then also uh, cookbooks. I mean, I just love cookbooks. Same. You know, Michael Twitty and like, <laughs> listen, like I, you know, I just sometimes I read a cookbook just to read the cookbook. To look at the pictures for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's how I read it. Like what makes me salivate and then I'll stop there for a while. <laughs> yes. Well, exactly. thank you so much for your time. And for anyone listening, if they don't already follow you, where, where can they find you if they want to learn more about Maya? To learn more about me, you can follow me on the Instagram. I'm laughing so hard because my son likes to make all sorts of funny jokes about, you know, us older people. Because remember, he's like uh, just a tween, so he thinks we're ancient. Um, so he calls it like the chap snat. Um, <laughs> or that's how we would refer to it. Anyhow, let me be serious. Um, <laughs> I love it. So yeah, you can find me on the Instagram at Maya Feller RD, <laughs> Twitter to Facebook, Maya Feller Nutrition, and just regular on the web, MayaFellerNutrition.com. I love awesome. it. Thank you for sharing so much with us today. We appreciate you and we can't wait to share this with everyone. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I could chat with y'all for all afternoon. Literally feel the same way. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening and being here with us. I am virtually cheersing all of you. We absolutely love sipping on a cocktail with you and sharing as many nutrition tipsies as possible during this episode. We know there are a ton of pods out there, and we are so appreciative of your time that you spent listening to us today. Please be sure to check out the show notes for episode details and all of our guest information. We promise to keep bringing you the best and the most knowledgeable and fun guests we possibly can. Please be sure to subscribe, like, share, and post if you enjoyed our content today. And visit us on Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Dietitians to find out what is up next for us on the pod. We absolutely love you. We appreciate you and can't wait to spend more time cheersing with you soon. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.